Before we turn to our scripture reading, let's go to God and ask his blessing on his word. Please pray with me. Father, as we go about our weeks, we hear so many words. We speak so many words. But we gather here because we want to hear your word. We want to hear a different word. And so we pray that you, the word that became flesh, would speak to us. That we would listen well. That our hearts might be drawn into further communion with you. And so we come not because we're worthy, but because of what you've promised in Jesus Christ. We come trusting in the work of your Holy Spirit in us and through us. We pray these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll read uh, verses 28 through 44. Hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Congregation of Jesus Christ, Great Expectations. The title comes from a Charles Dickens novel about a young boy who's given a new opportunity to go live this lavish life in London. And as he lives this lavish life in London, he discovers that as great as he expected this life to be, it's all sort of crumbling down around him. But great expectations are not just the things of novels. They're things that you and I deal with every day. Sometimes it's fun. 
If you have been following March Madness basketball, like I have, maybe your expectations for your great team or your great bracket have come crashing down over the past few weeks. Or maybe you've been on or have planned spring break trips and you've had visions of warm beaches or family fun at an amusement park. And then it rained. And then the kids wouldn't stop screaming. And all those Instagram pictures come crashing down. Other times it's more serious. Expectations for what retirement will be like. And then you find yourself sitting in a doctor's office. And all those expectations are threatened. Or you think the new job will bring you security, fulfillment. And then you get the call that you've been laid off. Great expectations. In Luke 19, the people have great expectations. It's such a wonderful story. So many of us look forward to Palm Sunday hearing the story. Jesus' disciples almost miraculously finding this cult, just like Jesus describes, everything going according to plan. The crowds gathering around, the excitement of seeing Jesus riding into Jerusalem. They break out into song and chants, praising the Lord, singing glory to him. These beautiful words from Psalm 118. Jesus is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. People are ready to celebrate Palm Sunday then and now. Such a glorious, such a triumphant story. So much expectation. But then in Luke's gospel, the story ends so strangely. The pictures of people singing and praising and crying out. The palm branches that Matthew tells us the people were waving. It's all gone. And what Luke leaves us with is a story of Jesus crying, weeping over Jerusalem, prophesying about this brutal destruction of the city, children being killed. Kids aren't waving the palm branches anymore. They're being destroyed by their enemies. Palm Sunday in Luke's gospel doesn't end with Jesus waving palm branches. It ends with him in the narthex, crying to himself, not in hope and joy, but in despair and weeping. The cries of glory, of praise, are replaced with crying. Jesus weeping, Luke says, because the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. And all of it will happen, Jesus says, because you did not recognize the time of the Lord's coming to you. Which, if you pause for a moment, seems like a confusing statement because it seems like the people did recognize after all, they had spread their cloaks, they had sung their praises. And so, what was it that they didn't recognize? Expectations. The 
people had expected Jesus to be a king. They were ready to proclaim his glory. They knew all the imagery. The people were used to these royal processions coming into their cities. The Romans were famous for this, ushering in their kings with all sorts of pomp and circumstance. Even this colt or this donkey is not a lowly image in the ancient world. They were images of kings. The palm branches. You can go to 2 Maccabees for that one. 2 Maccabees is a book in the Apocrypha, those middle books between the Old and New Testament that most of us don't pay much attention to. But if you find 2 Maccabees and you go to chapter 10, what you'll read about is the Israelites welcoming in Judas Maccabeus, the one who kicks out the empire. And to celebrate the temple being restored, they wave their palm branches. And so when the people see Jesus coming in, they expect that he's going to come in. He's going to purify their temple by kicking out the Romans and setting up a new Jerusalem. What the crowds didn't understand was what sort of king Jesus was. They saw a political savior, a revolutionary, with all sorts of power and all sorts of might, the one who could free them from their enemies. This Messiah, the one who could reestablish their nation, who could reestablish the glory of days gone by. It was all these earthly expectations that the people were so focused on. In fact, earlier in chapter 19, before what we read, we can see their sort of misplaced expectations. This, that chapter begins with the story of Zacchaeus and the Israelites muttering to themselves and each other, Jesus eats with sinners, tax collectors. And then right before our passage, Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the talents. And as that parable is introduced, Luke says, Jesus tells that parable because, quote, the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The people cried out for peace. They thought that peace meant getting rid of Rome and setting up a peaceful Jerusalem where soldiers no longer stood at every street corner, where their king gets to make the rules, not some governor installed by Roman authorities. Glory, glory where their tax dollars don't have to go to pay for Rome's building projects anymore. These great expectations. But what Jesus sees is such a vastly different sort of picture. Instead of Jerusalem being restored, it's besieged. It's destroyed. Not one stone will rest on another. Rather, the Israelites having military power, they're militarily destroyed. Jesus weeps. If only, he says, if only, if only you had known what would bring you true peace, but it's hidden from your eyes. If only you could see what's going to happen. If only you hadn't made this all about yourselves. If only you could look past your own goals, your own glory, your own power. 
If only, if only, if only we knew that glory didn't come from having the biggest house, the newest car, the best iPhone. If only we knew that peace doesn't come by squashing the side of church that wants more guitars or more organ or whatever else. If only we knew that inner peace can't come through a thousand Facebook friends or Instagram followers or having honor roll kids. If only these misplaced expectations I wonder how you and I continually run up against those things. What is it that we expect from Jesus? What is it we expect God to do for us? Maybe we expect God to make our businesses flourish, to fill our 401ks. Or maybe we expect that Jesus will fill our churches overflow our offering plates. Or maybe we expect that if we're faithful, we'll avoid the sickness or the disease. Maybe we expect Jesus to crush our opponents for us, our enemies, whoever that is, a hateful boss, political opponents, the bully at school, If only, if only we could see what Jesus has come to do for us, how he'll do it for us. On Palm Sunday, the king enters Jerusalem. That much is sure. The crowds, ironically, are absolutely right to sing his praises. When the Pharisees try and get them to to quiet down, Jesus responds that this has to be proclaimed. Even the rocks will cry it out if need be. Jesus could not be clearer. He will not be stopped. His entrance into Jerusalem is one where the king will rule forever. On On that Palm Sunday years ago, the crowds were right. The king was coming. They were right to lay their cloaks down. They were right to sing his praise. But he came as a king so vastly different than what they were expecting. He hadn't come to overthrow the Romans. He'd come to be killed by them. He hadn't come to overthrow Pontius Pilate, but to submit to him. He hadn't come to reestablish the temple. He'd come to clear it out. He hadn't come to make Peter or James or John the emperor. He'd come to hear the denials and their abandonment. They were expecting all these grand things. And what they get in this holy week coming up is something so different. It's not at all difficult to see why the people who will praise Jesus today only a few days later will be calling for his death. Because he'd failed. He hadn't done anything that they'd expected of him. All their expectations had come crashing down. 
Jesus goes into the temple and starts clearing out the Jewish authorities, not building it up. Jesus should have been holding public support rallies, and he was holed up in some upper room with his disciples. Jesus should have been winning. Instead, he's losing. But of course, if only they could have seen, if only they could have seen that it's precisely in his losing that he wins. That Jesus comes as a king for glory and for peace, not by destroying his enemies, but by loving them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He gives himself up. He sacrifices himself. He empties himself of all his glory, of all his power, of his very life. It's that same emptying that we read about in Philippians chapter 4. And it's precisely then when Jesus is most glorified. But what brings glory, what brings peace, is Jesus' death. In him sacrificing himself for the sake of his people. That is what is going to bring people peace and glory is Jesus' love for them, his willingness to suffer, to die for them. That's what can restore them. The peace, the glory, all of it begins with Jesus submitting himself to the evil and chaos of the world. And it's by taking all of that upon himself, by bearing it on the cross, that he can defeat it and rise victorious over it. This is the king. And so if we're going to journey with Jesus through this week to Good Friday and to Easter Sunday, it's a different journey than we might expect. It's a different journey than we might like. If we are his followers, then we follow the one who sacrifices himself. If we're going to follow Jesus closely, not just on Palm Sunday, but into Good Friday, we might find ourselves going to the very places we didn't expect. Not just the glory of Palm Sunday, but to sacrificing ourselves, giving ourselves up, following the way of our King, loving our enemies when we'd rather curse them, losing when we'd rather win, Instead of getting angrier and angrier, we let go and give ourselves up. Instead of trying to get more and more for ourselves, we start giving it away. Instead of trying to build up our reputation by staying away from people of different languages or different skin color, we find ourselves drawing close to them. Instead of standing at a distance to all of those who've screwed up their lives with sex or crime or drug addictions or whatever else, we plunge into the messiness. He eats with sinners. What does it look like to follow this king? What does it look like to find the promised joy and glory with this king? 
because we follow the one who's given himself up, the one who rides into Jerusalem not to, to win, but to die. Jesus asks us to redefine our expectations, to show us this different way of living, that it's not about being the strongest or the richest or the most powerful. It's not about economic strength or military prowess. It's not about all the glories of the world. It's about turning our faces to the cross. And while it might challenge us, it also shows us the only way to life. It's the only way. The good news of Palm Sunday is that by journeying to the cross, by sacrificing himself, by losing, Jesus brings us peace. Jesus shows us his glory. As Jesus turns away from all the expectations of the crowds, all the things that you and I might want him to do, he shows us what true life in his kingdom can be like. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The way of Christ, the way of our King, is not the way of the world. The peace and glory that he offers is radically different than anything you and I might expect or encounter in our lives. But the opportunity is to join in this kingdom. So may we shout our, our hosannas not in expectation that Jesus will come to make us powerful or successful, but might we come with expectations that Jesus, in his sacrifice, will invite us into life with him. We don't shout with vain glory, but we whisper with wonder at the realization that Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost, you and me, by suffering, by dying. And in doing so, by showing us his glory, by giving us his peace, in doing so, he becomes the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one worthy of all the praise. And so as we journey this week with Jesus, we do so journeying to the cross. We journey with the one who gives himself up, even to death, so that through him we might have glory, peace, and life everlasting. Thanks be to him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often our lives are defined by all the things of this world. That like the Israelites, we too get caught up in visions of glory and power defined by success and reputation. And so as we cry out, Hosanna, we pray that you would open our eyes again to the type of kingdom that you are ushering in. Open our eyes to the life you have for us. And so we pray, Father, that as we journey with Jesus to the cross and to the empty tomb, that you would help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow. As we try and fall into step with Jesus more and more, might we find life in his kingdom defined not 
by all the things of the world, but defined by him. So help us. Help us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Help us to give up ourselves with love and generosity. Help us to look to the lowly, to the least, and to join in their lives. Father, help us to become like Jesus. And as we join in life with him, may we find all the peace and glory that he promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.